The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I am your host, Josh Nelson, and also alongside me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis, as it is Thursday night, April 21st, 2022, is we bring you a new episode of Socks Machine Live. For those that are watching on our live stream on youtube.com slash Socks Machine or watching on SocksMachine.com or also watching on our Twitch page or even on Twitter, if you follow us on Twitter at Socks Machine and at Socks Machine underscore Josh. Hello, with this being a live stream while you guys are watching us, there's a comment section for those that are watching on YouTube. You can pose your comments about how the White Sox did uh, in Cleveland for this series uh, or any questions that you have. And if we have time, we'll try to answer them during the live stream. This is also must see Thursday when it comes to White Sox Twitter as our good friends from the 108 and their YouTube channel, youtube.com slash from the 108. They're going to start live streaming at eight o'clock tonight, central time. So after we're done, we're going to take you directly to them, and then you can hop over and watch their craziness, and I cannot wait to see what their reactions were for this week. But for those that are also listening to the podcast feed after the live stream, thank you for tuning in, and I wish that these were happier times. If you listen to us on Monday, the White Sox are 6-3, and three, and they have won three series in a row. They have this upcoming seven-game road trip, four games in Cleveland, three in Minnesota. They come back home, three against Kansas City, 10 divisional games, an opportunity for the White Sox to add some distance from them and everybody else in the American League Central. And on Monday, a lot of teams in the American League Central were struggling. Unfortunately for the White Sox, they have left a steamy mess in Cleveland, Jim. Uh, boy, these three games in two days as weather knocked out Monday and Tuesday, so it kind of threw the schedule off kilter as the White Sox and Guardians played a doubleheader on Wednesday, and then they played their fourth game, which ended up being only the third game of this series today on Thursday, and Cleveland won all three games. So Cleveland sweeps the White Sox, and now we're talking about a 6-6 six six White Sox team before they head to Minnesota. 
but it's the manner of how the White Sox got swept here, Jim. Mm-hmm. Terrible defense. The offense, which we talked about, has to carry the load, has only scored 15 runs in the last seven games. Dallas Keuchel gave up 10 runs in his start, and uh, Tony La Russa is making some odd decision-making when it comes to guys that are playing uh, out in the field and <laughs> even his lineup. So where do you want to start with as far as what's the biggest mess for the White Sox as they leave Cleveland? Well, I'm going to open with a modest proposal. Remember when the White Sox shifted from Ozzie Guillen to Robin Ventura and everybody's like, wow, this team is a lot more focused and detail oriented. They're taking (laughs) their job a lot more seriously. And then they kind of faded out. And then Rick Renteria took over and remember saying like, wow, they're playing a lot more energy. They have a lot, you know, leadership is respected. Um, You know, he's really cracking down on lackadaisical play. Uh, and then slowly that kind of gave way. And then Tony La Russa comes over and just like, oh, Rick Renteria took it too easy on everybody. Now we're getting back to basics, really stressing fundamentals, taking spring training seriously. And then you get a series like this. So my proposal to you, one-year managers, <laughs> unless they win the World Series, then they can come back. Otherwise, no matter what, one-year managers. Wow, that is a high standard we are putting up there. Uh, Not even the Yankees have that type of high standard. And the world is crashing on the Yankee kingdom if they don't win the World Series. But you you make a good point. It is fascinating on how, oh my gosh, everything is so much better. And everything is working great. And we're more focused. And you're right. Like, fundamentally, this is the worst that we've seen since the rebuild. And even for the rebuild season in 2018, I guess it was excusable, Jim, because the lack of talent, Mm -hmm. like if they screwed up, these guys are not going to be part of a contending White Sox team because really they should be in triple A. They shouldn't be in the major leagues, but the White Sox are not trying this season. So this is why we have to put up with it. But Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu, let's call it the way that it is. They both had terrible, terrible series Mm -hmm. uh, in Cleveland. I thought Tony La Russa had every right to pull Tim Anderson after the second inning in game one and benched him for the rest of the game, put him back in game two to give him an opportunity to rinse that bad taste in his mouth, but three errors in two innings. And then you kind of have the audacity to flip off the crowd because they're making fun of you. Uh, I'm sorry. You're being terrible. Uh, And then Jose Abreu, with his multiple errors. And even today when the game's tight, it's four, three and he gets five hold on a grounder with a runner on first. Like, I don't know what it was with those two, but Abreu and Anderson were not ready to play any of these games. Yeah. Abreu had that scoop too on Jake Berger's error. That seemed like that's a play he makes most of the time. So mm-hmm. he had a couple plays that were not counted on errors on his tab, but you know, basically were, um, yeah. Anderson was, like it was funny, like during the off season, I wanted to write a post on how Tim Anderson's defense had changed. Um, basically not making sensational plays on the edges of his range, but getting better at like handling the plays within his range, the charging plays, the plays, you know, to his left where he didn't require like a crazy spinning or sliding effort. Like he was a lot more solid on those plays. The problem was that was because of the lockout. Um, I, they, they removed all the video. They wiped their video system of all current players and their tags. And so I couldn't do the post justice just because like I could scramble and find plays and make gifs of everything using StatCast. But I'll, it wasn't as comprehensive as using the 
uh, MLB.com tagging system. So I could never really get it done the way I wanted to. So I just tabled it for the time being, figured I'd have time to cover that same topic either later this year or um, you know maybe next winter. But given the way he started the season, I think uh, I have to more or less set that aside because it was a rough series. And I think um, it, I did notice towards the end of the series, especially after the error uh, to open uh, the, the third game, today's game, uh, his throws had more snap on them afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't doing the flat footed throw, the quick release, the sidearm, like he was putting some, some snap on them, which I appreciated seeing, not just because they were accurate on time, but just because seeing these errors cluster on it, you always get this kind of, uh, I guess, you know, apprehension that there's some kind of yips thing going on to where like if every throw is that far off when he has time or he has like the footwork uh theoretically you know under his control and he's still doing this and he's dropping balls in a tag and he's dropping ball he, he's booting a ball charging it just you think like this is this is weird you know and, and you know it's happened before with infielders to where they they kind of lose these basic functions for a bit and so uh seeing them cluster up on him was a little bit uh, worrisome, but just seeing him making, you know, more uh, just, I guess, authoritative throws, like making sure he got his feet and hips and everything else into them. And he was, they're on target and didn't have the tail on them. A braid didn't have to work for him. That was at least reassuring, but yeah, it was a really weird series, especially in his part. Yeah. It's like he regressed back to 2017 version where he was still learning how to play the position defensively in the major league level. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, and he said the right things in the pregame presser today when he met the media that he's glad that he had this experience because he knows how bad it was and he could learn from it and move on. Hopefully he does. I know that Tim Anderson is striding to be one of the best shortstops of Major League Baseball. He wants that title. He wants more respect. He doesn't want to be someone that just barely the top 10 of shortstops. He wants to be someone in the top five of shortstops in Major League Baseball. You can't have games like that. You can't. The top five shortstops at baseball do not have those type of blunders, especially the first two innings against Cleveland. That's an Andy Gonzalez game. Yeah, it is. Three errors in a game. That's uh, whenever somebody makes three errors in a game. Well, Andy Gonzalez made three errors in an inning. That's why I remember. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's who comes to mind. Yeah, good old. There you go, folks. That's your Andy Gonzalez reference in today's Sox Machine Live. All right. Uh, <laughs> I, I love the banner that I created for this. Uh, for the those are the podcasts listening. I have banners that we have during Sox Machine Live. Lurie Garcia batted third, not once, twice in this series. Yeah, we're and, talking about him directly now. We kind of skirted around him. Yes. Last time, not wanting to sully an otherwise good and upbeat show by overemphasizing his slow start, but I think we can no longer dodge it. We cannot. So my question to you, Jim, is why? <laughs> I guess the most straightforward answer would be left-right balance. Like, that that's why, I suppose. Like, just, you know, when you look at the lineup on, uh, yeah, Today's game, it was Tim Anderson first, Luis Robert second, Garcia was third, Grandal fifth, Sheet seventh. So they had the left-right, left-right balance, you know, after the two best hitters. But that's really it. Like, you know, handedness is the only argument. And it's not even that good of one just because 
especially like with a pitcher like Plesak, the one thing that, um, you know, I, I don't like, you know, I, I shouldn't say the one thing, but just one thing that sticks out to me about Larry as a left-handed hitter is that he keeps his front shoulder closed and he, like anytime somebody runs a two-seamer from his hip to the inside corner, he gives up on the pitch. Like he has no way to really drive it or even put it in play. He just hopes that he reacts soon enough to follow it off. But otherwise, a lot of times he gives up on it. And so like, if you have a pitcher like Plesak or any of the, the Cleveland righties that can just start it in on the chalk on the left-handed batter's box and run it into the inside corner, like he doesn't stand a chance in those. So he's playing defense the entire time. So that's what, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, maybe if, you know, and it doesn't even really make sense, but it, let's just say like Larry as a righty batting third still wouldn't understand it whatsoever, but at least I get it. But like, or at least I would understand it if somehow like, um, you know, covid struck or something like that all of a sudden they're running up you know all the righties from charlotte then maybe i could understand it uh but when it comes to larry as a lefty like even gavin sheets like gavin sheets had three good at bats uh against plesak um you know driving the ball um you know he had the kind of quality at bats that we don't see the white Sox righties have from him so this was a good test for sheets in terms of like if they want him as a left-handed platoon bat like this is the perfect situation and sheets really uh, acquitted himself well in the role. And uh, that's a case where like, sure, that's good. But he also kind of, that's Sheets is batting in this game because like he's supposed to, he earned enough leash last year to get these kinds of starts. So why not bat him third? If you're going to bat a lefty third, why not him? You know, why not have that, um, you know, the guy who can maybe drive the ball better or who has the plate discipline to not be, you know, to, to draw a tough walk. Like that would be, a good use of an unconventional unproven third hitter, but Garcia, like it's, it seems like he wants to prove something. Uh, Larusa does. And it's either like, you know, there, there's the classic like manager thing where just like, they want to make sure that they're showing confidence in a guy that they think they're going to rely on. So, okay. But you can do that by batting Garcia eighth, as long as he's playing every day, you're showing confidence in him. He's not mm-hmm. a top half lineup hitter. Uh, so that doesn't really make sense. So then it becomes a matter of like, well, I believe in him and no, so it doesn't matter if nobody else does, but when you bat him third, it's like, you, you can say the game keeps finding him, but it, it, it's more of a matter of like, it's not the game finding him. It's not a passive thing. It's Larusa making sure the game finds him or Larusa making the game about him. And that's putting a player in a position to fail, which goes against like the entire, remember when LaRusso was hired and he's still in that kind of radio silence period uh, because of the uh, DUI the, yeah, DUI charge. And, you know, everybody's having to do the talking for him until his case was settled. Miguel Cairo and other former players are saying like, well, he never puts, you know, he's always thinking three steps ahead and he's always putting players in position to succeed. And that's what he, that's really important to him. And like, this is not that like, there's no way to defend this as that. Like, it's just, it's either pure stubbornness or hubris, but there's no case for Larry batting third. That is anything besides just making a statement. That's bad. <laughs> it's like, making, it's like making a statement with your butt kind of just like, it's like grabbing the microphone and, 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 and pointing it downward. That's basically what it is. And it's, <laughs> It's not doing him favors. It's not doing the fans. It's it's helping nobody. I want you at some point this season, if you completely disagree with me, to grab the microphone and directly fart into it is the way that you are just describing. 
that situation with Tony LaRussa. I mean, you're right, Jim. And that's the same complaints that I have. And our good friends over from the 108, Beef Loaf, don't mean to dunk on him too harshly. But last week on their show. Sure you do. <laughs> last week on their show, Beef Loaf's talking about on how easy it is to hate on Lurie Garcia and... No one should be complaining that much because he's the 11th best player on the team. He's only getting playing time because of the injuries. It's not that big of a deal. Well, suddenly it has become a big deal because Lurie Garcia is just not some random guy on the roster. He is the pet of Tony La Russa, like the pet teacher. Uh, you know, you go to school teacher's and pet. the teacher's pet. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah, every teacher has their favorite student in the class. And in the White Sox class, right now, that's Lurie Garcia. And Tony LaRusso said that he thought he saw something on Wednesday from Lurie Garcia that inspired him to believe that Garcia is going to get hot real quick. And then if paint he's hot, him. <laughs> if he's hot. <laughs> elsewhere, be amused in another medium. Yeah. And if he's hot, you got to put him in the lineup. And Larusa was awarded with a zero for three with a walk and a strikeout. Garcia did score a run, but he ran Luis Robert <laughs> off the bases. He, he sacrificed Luis Robert so he could score the run. I just, I, I, I don't mean I'm not going to be mean to Beef Loaf, but he's not the only one that is quick to be contrarian and say we are hating on Lurie Garcia too much. This is not so much a problem with Lurie Garcia. It is the main root cause. It is Tony La Russa. And this goes back to the offseason of why did Rick Hahn sign Lurie Garcia? And White Sox. Yeah, for three years. And now in hindsight, you should have just let him sign with Detroit. Because I cannot imagine Rick Hahn waking up this morning on Thursday, checking his email and see that Tony the Russa is going to have Lurie Garcia bat third on the roster in the lineup that Rick Hahn constructed from his office. I, I cannot imagine that they are on the same page with that. And we learned from you know the book Moneyball and also the movie and that sometimes general managers just have to get rid of guys so the managers don't play them. I kind of feel like in hindsight... Rick Hahn should have not signed Larry Garcia so he doesn't have this issue because it's an issue today. And it's, I think it's still going to be an issue in the upcoming weeks that well, Larry Garcia is going to get all this playing time. Yeah, it was, it was funny when the White Sox signed Garcia, it was right after my son was born. So I was still in the Hayes paternity leave period to where like, I saw the, the news and I saw your post and I was like, huh. Yeah, just yeah, but I also didn't have like the mental bandwidth to give it more thought at the time. But then, you know, as I thought more about it, I was like, yeah, I don't, I kind of don't like this, but I also don't want to pile on like three weeks late, like a late hit penalty. I just like, yeah, I'll get around to it and reviewing the off season. Like we have to, we got the lockout to talk about. We got another thing. I, I just don't want to be randomly because, you know, I understand like, you know, Garcia serves a lot of purposes. He, um, you know, he, Try, you know, he tries his best and that sounds very like damning with faint praise, but like he, he does whatever's asked of him. So it, it's a case where like oftentimes he's not put in position to succeed, but he takes his, uh, 
takes whatever position, does his best, sometimes plays really well for weeks at a time, other times disappears for weeks at a time. But it's a case where it's like not a matter of effort or, um, you know, the acumen, which is more of a matter of ability. But I just didn't want to like, yeah, write that post four weeks later and being like, that's weird and strangely bitter when you got other things to be bitter about when it comes to business baseball. So, but when they signed uh, Josh Harrison, that's when I kind of had the opportunity to circle back because like, yeah, my argument against Harrison was saying like Garcia or Harrison, but not Garcia and Harrison because they're both utility. They're both valuable for playing multiple positions. They're useful for needing somebody, but not useful for needing something. Like when you put Garcia in the lineup, you don't know what you're going to get from him. He's good at standing in a spot and playing adequate defense and not embarrassing himself out there. But he's not going to hit lefties well. He's not going to hit righties well. He's not going to play a position especially well. So he just he's there to stand somewhere and not embarrass himself. Uh, but you know, when he's batting third, then that kind of undermines the whole thing. Like he doesn't embarrass himself when he's standing in a position and batting eighth or ninth. But when he's batting third, that draws national attention on him. Like I saw a whole mm-hmm. bunch of you know, people who would ordinarily wouldn't be discussing a White Sox lineup card saying, what the hell is going on here? Yep. Uh, why is Garcia? Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, he had uh, the, the baseball reference hounds digging into the lineup and saying like, he might be the worst third hitter of all time. When you factor in uh track record and, and presentability and, and who else is in the lineup. And that's a case where just like, you know, in my argument against Harrison and, and Garcia was saying like, if both of them, don't pan out. You've spent $11 million on guys who don't offer anything in, in particular. Uh, and that's a case where like if the White Sox have so little to add from for outside dollars, that's really a sketchy or dicey way to spend money. And right now, I think between Garcia start and Harrison start, especially since Harrison's uh, been banged up now a couple of times and he had a couple of years lost to injuries that right now we're kind of looking at that $11 million and going, ugh. So I'm trying not to overreact, but LaRusse is making it very hard to not react when he's batting him third. Like it's a case where I can ignore him batting eighth because I don't think it matters like whether who plays second base between Harrison and Garcia and Mendick, like that position shouldn't matter. But when they're batting third, it matters. I'm not even somebody who complains about lineups, like by and large, like I really don't care as long as like the top six hitters are all in some order, but it's just like, it's such a weird allocation and a weird statement being made that you just, it feels like it needs to be dealt with. It's like, uh, it's like, you know, like the art that grabs your attention. It's meant to shock. It's meant to be controversial. It's like, Ooh, you know, like, uh, you know, this is going to be banned in some countries because of how controversial <laughs> it's, it's not really like, um, you know, it's not great art. It's just more like, you know, shock value. Like I remember the whole, uh, the, the whole piss Christ thing being like, wow, it's Jesus in a jar. Like, but just, it's like, it wasn't, you know, good art. It was just meant to like grab headlines. And this is like the same way. It's like controversial. It's upsetting. Uh, Larusa feels something, but nobody else feels it. It's just there for shock value. And that that's kind of at least how it feels like we have to talk about it because it's meant to be talked about, but not meant to be useful in any other way. Well, he shocked everyone. Uh, We'll see if Garcia bats third over the weekend against the Minnesota Twins, which we'll preview that series in a moment. Speaking of shocking, Dallas Keuchel. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, okay. first of all, I felt I felt bad for Keuchel in the first inning because the first two batters reach on errors. 
and eventually one of those runs scores and it's an unearned run and Keuchel is doing what we want Keuchel to do generate ground balls. The white Sox infield defense is not doing a good job. The second inning more terrible defensive play, but then he gives up a grand slam to Jose Ramirez on an 85 mile per hour cut fastball. That's right down the pipe. And he's giving up some loud, loud exit velocity numbers. And Afterwards, he said that he felt he only gave up three hard hit balls uh, during his outing, but he allowed five batted balls with an exit velocity greater than 98 miles per hour. So if we're being technical, it was more than three. And at one point, he allowed seven straight hits. It was ugly. And I know you wrote about this on SoxMachine.com this morning, Jim. It's only two starts. So we shouldn't be talking about DFA Dallas Keuchel. But we've also been down this road before, and I'm reading out the White Sox history book and referencing the John Danks chapter. Mm -hmm. I've got a bad feeling about Keuchel because this is 40 grade stuff with 40 grade command. The command was off against Cleveland in the second inning, and I understand that he's frustrated because the defense is playing poorly behind him in the first inning. But unlike Vince Velasquez, who caused his problems and dug his own grave, in the first inning, allowing four runs against Tampa Bay. Velasquez bounced back, and he didn't throw his teammates under the bus and didn't provide tone-deaf comments afterwards. Keiko cons- consistently does this mm-hmm. when he's not performing well, and it's not a him problem. It's, well, my teammates are not backing me up problem. How much longer is Dallas Keiko going to be pitching for the White Sox if he doesn't bounce back. This start is difficult just because, you know, as I wrote about, he could have been out of the first inning in eight pitches. Uh, he, you know, basically had a, or he had the first four outs in eight pitches um, because the leadoff batter of the second inning was the first pitch grounder to Anderson that he booted. Um, so it's, uh, it's a case where he did his job. And the way I put it in the post was saying like, basically everybody, when Keuchel takes the mound, manager, pitching coach, players on the field need to know like the first 50 pitches are what matters for Keuchel. Like, because if Keuchel's right, he's getting through innings on 12 pitches or fewer. And so it's a case where if he's rolling, like he should be able to get four innings in him, maybe five if he's lucky and, and has like a really aggressive contact oriented lineup like Cleveland had. Uh, Kansas City has similar lineups to where like he can have a couple single digit pitch innings mm-hmm. to where he can get through five on 50 something pitches. And then after that, the contact's going to get louder. So you just have to stand by, have relievers ready after the fifth inning or 50 pitches, what have you. Um, but it's a case where we saw him in the first and we, we talked about him in this first outing that he was able to get the cutter in on righties and get the changeup sinkers in a way. And then he was able to get that cutter away on lefties. Like he was locating his pitches better, both sides of the plate with the pitches that he needs for those sides of the plate. So it seems like a, a strange about face to say like, oh, he can't do this anymore. Um, I do think it was slightly revealing that Tanner Binks came in and threw four perfect innings, even though Binks, his stuff scales up a little bit, but not, you know, he, he's, he's not like a righty. Like he's not like Kopech coming in out of the bullpen righty throwing 96 for a lineup built against the lefty who's throwing in the high 80s. This was a guy who has a little bit better stuff uh, uh, or at least a little bit more velocity on Keuchel's arsenal more or less so it, it seemed like 
uh, you know, banks doing that undermined the case where, uh, you know, as you mentioned, it was, you know, the defense's fault or, you know, he only had a few mistakes because the contact was mm-hmm. getting louder. You know, Keuchel, he, like, you know, what I keep coming back to, though, is, like, everybody knows in the defense they need to back him up. Like, he's not a strikeout guy. So I think he can get by with criticizing teammates a little bit more because that's the deal. <laughs> like that's everybody knows. And, and the errors were egregious enough to where, you know, it, it's not like say like a, a infield single to where like, you know, uh, somebody tries to make a barehanded charging play to get a guy about half, half a step in the throat bounces down the line and, and gets an extra base. Like they weren't those kind of errors. They were nonsensical amateur errors and everybody involved should feel bad. So the quotes didn't rub me the wrong way in terms of saying like, you know, I think he said something to the effect of like, well, I think you see, seen it all. And then this happens. And he left it at that. Um, I, I can see him venting a little bit just because that's what he needs in order to be a tenable starter. That's what he needs for everybody to get off his back. Uh, he needs, you know, just competent defensive play. He got far from competent. So I understand that part, but yeah, when he, goes in and says that he only made a couple of stakes, only gave a couple hard hit balls. Maybe he wasn't counting the grounders that shot through the infield with a triple digit velocity because the launch angle was correct. So he ignored those, but that's a case where, you know, going a, a bit too far. <laughs> I can't quite follow him there. And it is, you know, frustration. It, it does have tones of end of the line stuff, but to, uh, you know, to guess to answer your question after this lengthy explanation, I would say that right now Gilito's coming back, so there's one starter. Johnny Cueto is making his he's scheduled to make his first start with Charlotte on Saturday uh, in Nashville. I will be there for that, so we'll see what he has. I'm not inclined to pencil in Cueto yet because it could be like you know, speaking of Danks, like everybody wanted the White Sox to sign Tim Linscombe that Tim Linscombe that year. And he had nothing like he had a worse year than Danks yeah, and the is. angels let him go. So yeah. it's a case where like name brand recognition, sure. New guy, but uh, you know, make sure he has what he has and, and that the White Sox weren't able to get him a minor league contract because everybody understands he has nothing like, you know, I, I made the Odrisimer Despagne, the guy who throws the whole bag of tricks at somebody because he doesn't have, he can't attack anybody in a straightforward way. He needs all the deception, all the, you know, all the smoke and mirrors to try to get through four innings. So we'll see what Cueto has. Uh, and then I think, you know, after Cueto's, you know, we have some idea of Cueto after some idea of Gilito being stable. Then I think it's kind of a week by week proposition just to see, how he looks, you know, Jimmy Lambert, I think can offer what Keuchel has when Keuchel's rough. Uh, the one thing I keep coming back to though, is that Keuchel threw 160 innings last year. It takes a base amount of talent to throw 160 innings. Jimmy Lambert cannot throw 160 innings in a year. So, you know, that's why I talk about the, the efficiency in the first 50 pitches. We'll see what it looks like next time. I mean, it could be an, uh, an on off on off, uh, you know, hot and cold type season to where like his ERA is trash because every other outing he's being lit up, but that might be enough to get through to Lance Lynn's comeback. And then we'll see where the White Sox are. Yeah. I give it Memorial day for Dallas Keuchel. I mean, he's given up 11 earned runs now in six innings of work. Like he's going to have to put up back to back five scoreless inning outings to get his ERA to normal. I think it's like at 16 and a half right now. So his ERA is wrecked after this start. I'm going to give him Memorial day and 
then we're going to have some better insight on how everyone else is doing within the starting rotation for the White Sox. But this is a season, Jim, you don't want Keuchel to pitch 160 innings because then that option's going to pick up and then he's guaranteed in 2023. And yeah. <laughs> I know we, we're not fans of manipulating service time when it comes to prospects, but you bet we are fans of manipulating service time of Dallas Keuchel this season. Yeah, that is I, not a smart financial move. Yeah, for the record, I don't think he can throw 160 innings this year, but like if he throws 130, that helps the White Sox. Like I don't think Jimmy Lambert can throw 130. Like getting the right. triple digits for Velasquez, Lambert, et cetera, is going to be tough. Uh, so that's why Keuchel can serve a purpose if he's, uh, you know, in the fifth spot. But right now, because of Giolito being out, Lynn being out, you know, he's right now the second most proven starter. Kopech, fortunately, looks better to where like now he's he feels like a decent option behind Cease. But you know, just more of a matter of can he withstand the grind of. Uh, every five days, that sort of thing. But it, it's a case where like, yeah, Keiko, if Keiko can slide down to being the fifth most, most important starter, the crisis will lessen uh, and it'll feel like less acute. And if he gets roughed up one outing and pitches five innings, another one, like they can cross those days off the calendar. But anytime like he's third starter or more because Jimmy Lambert's behind him or Velasquez behind him, that's when it gets really uncomfortable. And that's where I think yeah. like it's a case where it does need to be addressed head on. Uh, but for the time being, hopefully Giolito lessens some of the pressure and then we'll see what Cueto has. Moore starts like against Seattle. But if he, in May, if it's five innings or four innings that he's given up five or six earned runs in those outings... You Jimmy Lambert can do that. Him. I'll say yeah, Jimmy Lambert can exactly. do that. Yeah. That's why I bring up, it could be another John Dake situation. People will say it's too much money to cut him. No, no, they've done this and they've done this before. They did it last year with Adam Eaton. Uh, they will, they would not be afraid to let Dallas Keuchel go by Memorial day. If things do not pick up and for Keuchel, we talked about this in our season preview with the starting pitchers, our friend Janice Gurio joining us, uh, this is a big year for him because this is a fork in the road for your career. If you do not do well this season, I don't know how many guaranteed spots in a starting rotation opportunities you're getting moving forward in 2023 and beyond. So Keiko definitely needs to pick up his game. All right. So we talked about many bad things. Let's talk about another terrible thing that happened during the game. Luis Robert got hurt. And according to Tony LaRussa, it's a mild strained groin or groin pull. And he may need to go on the injured list. Great. But some good news. AJ Pollock is set to return along with Lucas Giolito. Uh, we'll talk about Giolito as we preview the twin series. Uh, but Jim, you know, Luis Robert, he was in a big slump. He did get two hits in today's game Thursday's game against Cleveland and hopefully that is something that could be used as a launching pad to get him back on track because the White Sox really need him to get back on track as the entire team right now is just ice cold offensively uh, but if Luis Robert does have to go on the injured list who's playing center field probably Adam Engel you know fortunately he looks healthy enough to where he can handle it I guess you know the question might or the answer might also be Larry Garcia because he seems to be the answer to a lot of questions. Uh, although if Harrison's banged up, then Garcia has a place to play. But yeah, it, it seems like this is a good case for Angle. Adam Hazley is also getting 
a lot of run. And his at-bats haven't been terrible early on, but just seems like a, it's a case where as long as Hazley's on the roster, I'm going to be nervous that he's going to be played. But hopefully it's, you know, Vaughn and left. Uh, it'll be angle and center, Pollock and right. I guess Pollock can't play center if need be, but just, yeah, the, the Robert injury is frustrating just because, you know, it got to a point where you know, last year, every time he ran through the bag, full effort on a ground to the left side, I was nervous. Just like, oh, is this going to happen again? And I was just easing up on that, especially watching how aggressively he was trying to steal bases uh, and, and, and taking off and being in motion. And like, okay, he's fully back. So just when I started to relax on him being full effort, uh, now here's another case where just a trip down the line results in a, a tweaked groin. And, and now here comes A.J. Pollock coming back. But Pollock injured his hamstring on, a, you know, not even a, that – aggressive of a round of first and stop. It was just more of a, uh, it was an assertive turn, but it wasn't like he had to slam on the brakes because of a sensational defensive play. Like he just wanted to make sure that the ball was picked up cleanly. He didn't have to, uh, you know, scramble to get back and he hurt himself. So it would be nice to, you know, yeah, this is a Goldie Simmons thing and, you know, who knows how long this takes, but it'd be nice to, for the White Sox to get past this soft tissue phase to where like a number of players just make you nervous anytime they try more than 80%. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. You mentioned Adam Hazley, and I kind of chuckle. I'm calling him Charlie Tilson 2.0 because I get strong Charlie Tilson vibes from Adam Hazley. Yeah, it's uh, it's like the two Adam minimum. 
<laughs> we couldn't see an outfield of Adam Hazley, Adam Engel, and Andrew Vaughn this weekend in Minneapolis. Yeah. I mean, if Vaughn plays, it'd be useful. <laughs> That's so, a whole nother topic, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> Lurie Garcia's batting third. Andrew Vaughn's not playing. <laughs> I just. Yeah. Oh, you, could, you know what? All you do is laugh. Because the other option is crying. And we're not crying in this episode right now. Uh, but to recap or to wrap up our conversation, what happened in Cleveland, the golden cog in the series goes to Tanner Banks, voted upon by everyone that follows us, follows us on Twitter at Sox Machine and following me as well at Sox Machine underscore Josh. Tanner Banks pitched four scoreless innings against Cleveland after Dallas Keuchel was yanked. Didn't allow a hit, didn't walk anyone, and struck out two. So way to go, Tanner Banks. You are the golden cog of the series where the White Sox got swept. But hey, he's a 30-year-old, long-time veteran of the minor leagues, just trying to stay alive and continue to stay with the Major League Club. And he's been pitching really well, Jim. Yeah, I was afraid, um, well, a couple times this week, like I was afraid that with Vince Velasquez is really rough, start start doing what looked like he might not get out of the second inning that Tanner Banks was going to have to come in and throw three innings, tire himself out and risk getting option to triple uh, a. And then with Keuchel, same thing. And Banks had to pick up four innings. I kind of had the same fear and that like, you know, Dallas Keuchel or Vince Velasquez uh, pitchers on guaranteed major league contracts are going to cost this 30 year old journeyman his job, even though he's done his job perfectly so far. Fortunately, in this case, that you know, with Gilito coming back, they were able to option uh, Jimmy Lambert down, so Banks can hang around. But that was my 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 big apprehension this week: is that Banks did nothing wrong, and just because he's tired and need a fresh <laughs> arm, he's the one that has to get sent down to Charlotte. And then we're getting into the uh, 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 monkey's paw situation that we discussed in PO Socks with Mohammed's uh, statement about how Tanner Banks isn't going to give up an earned run this year and that's because he gets optioned down to charlotte uh in april and and somehow doesn't come back uh he's a victim of his success but in this case you know all is well that ends well for him and that he just continues to pile up scoreless innings he undermines the dallas keichel talking point in the process by uh you know retiring uh the the, uh, guardians in order as a left-handed uh pitcher who's not overpowering and he's still around and, and uh, you know, and, and somebody else has to take the demotion. That's it's all, it's all good. Yes. So congrats Tanner Banks. You are the golden cog of the series where the white Sox got swept to Cleveland. One of the very few bright spots that happened in Cleveland, but now the white Sox, they get on a plane and they fly to Minneapolis and guess what? They're going to be facing the Minnesota twins. And guess what? The weather is looking terrible in Minneapolis or Friday and Saturday. Uh, rain is in the forecast for both days in Minneapolis. Uh, so fingers crossed Minneapolis is expecting to be 74 degrees on Saturday, Sunday. The high right now is looking to be 47 So huge temperature drop in Minneapolis, Minnesota during this series for the White Sox and Twins. I got a cold front coming through. Yeah, I got a cold front coming through. It's gonna in Chicago, it could be 82 degrees on Saturday and sunny, and that's very exciting. But it's springtime, as you know, Jim. When are the tornadoes gonna pop up? Like, when are we when am I getting that tornado warning or tornado watch? This is the dangerous part of the season during spring in the Midwest where you have these wonderful 12 hours of fantastic weather teasing you 
that spring or even summer is coming. And then you get these nasty thunderstorms and they end up canceling baseball games or even worse. Uh, so be flexible for this upcoming series between the White Sox and Twins. We could see more postponements uh, depending on the weather up in Minneapolis. Uh, but for the White Sox, we're going to get into the pitching problems for the White Sox first before breaking down the Twins. For the Chicago White Sox in this series, the probable pitcher starting on Friday, April 22nd at 7.10 p.m. Central Time. It is Michael Kopech who is the probable starter. Saturday at 3.05 p.m. Central Time, it's Vince Velasquez. And then Sunday, April 24th, Lucas Giolito is scheduled to return. Everything has checked out, and he is a probable starter for the White Sox on Sunday. For the Minnesota Twins on Friday, their pitching probable is Bailey Ober, Saturday, Dylan Bundy, and Sunday, Chris Archer. And I feel like, Jim, if the White Sox cannot hit against Ober, Bundy, and Archer, I am very concerned for the rest of the season against right-handed starting pitching. I feel like even though they're in a drought offensively in a severe cold snap, uh, they should be able to hit these three. And if they don't, I don't think that's very promising for the rest of the season against better right-handed pitching. And for the Minnesota Twins, they are not off to a good start either. They are mm -hmm. currently five and eight. They have the same run differential as the White Sox, negative eight runs uh, below. And for the Twins, the best aspect has been the starting pitching for them. But offensively is also the same frustration. Carlos Correa is hitting 196, and he's got one home run and two RBIs right now for the Minnesota Twins. They have several hitters that are in their lineup batting below 200. This seems like two teams on a collision course right now mm -hmm. for this weekend in which neither team is hitting. So with this upcoming series, what makes the Twins interesting to you? Yeah, this feels like, remember we talked about the Indians, or sorry, Guardian series. That's going to be another uh, jar type situation here as we learn new <laughs> habits. But the Guardian series, um, yeah, I mentioned that Cleveland was basically in its most Cleveland form with, uh, well, at the time it was four right-handed pitchers. It got whittled down to three after the, uh, you know, the, the postponements. But it was, you know, right-handed pitching, um, top-heavy contact oriented offense and we'll see what happens in this case the righties shut the white Sox down and the offense was you know they, they gave dallas keichel fits but even in the other games like they were fine uh the pitching was fine but not great like dylan cease is okay but made some mistakes with the slider and they didn't miss uh five hits on his slider so it was a case where the you know guardians guardianed and the uh, uh, White Sox just could not handle. In this case, it feels like a lesser version of it, like dropping the, the degree of difficulty down from like uh, all-star or uh, advanced to beginner or like, uh, you know, uh, rookie level, whatever you call it on, on, on the show. So it's like a case where like, yeah, Ober's fine. Ober's giving them tough starts in the past. Bundy's it looks like he's having a rebound season. Archer's had a couple of short starts that are okay, but they're, they should be more hittable. And the bullpen is more of a mess in, uh, in Minnesota uh, outside of Duran, who's been uh, just a, a force of nature there. They have major problems elsewhere. Uh, both offenses are bottom 10. The twins are ahead of the white Sox and OPS, but the white Sox are ahead in, uh, in average and slugging. It's just the, the twins have an OBP edge, but they're both below 300 in the OBP department. 
So, you know, it's it's a case where there, there's a headline in The Athletic from Aaron Gleeman talking about uh, why the Twins hitting 190 just can't be blamed on bad weather. You know, so they're having, they're running on parallel tracks here with like, yeah, it's been rough weather, but also some disturbing trends underneath it. So there is going to be like a you know moment of truth time coming up for both teams in that, uh, you know, at some point they're going to have to reverse it. And, you know, the pitching is going to have to be, uh, you know, the pitching is going to be, be have to hit. Like in this case, like the White Sox are facing, you know, over in Bundy and Archer, they should be able to hit like two of those three guys to some degree. The twins are probably looking at Vince Velasquez and saying like, well, we should be, you know, look what happened the last time out. Look at his career. We should be smoking him. If we don't smoke yep. him, we're in trouble. So there's a little bit of back and forth here for just, uh, um, you know, what each team has to prove. So, you know, there's, there's tension there. And then uh, Byron Buxton avoided the injury list. He DH, so we might not see him in center field maybe the entire weekend, but we're, you know, it looks like we're finally going to see Buxton in the lineup for the first time since uh, 2020. So that's a case where um, it'll be good to see him. <laughs> <laughs> will it like i mean will like it's it, a case Jim? where like uh you know don't root for injuries you know especially watching Luis robert pull yeah. blame like you know yeah just you, you you apply the golden rule and just say you don't want to you know you know fist pump somebody else's injury especially when somebody's that talented and and really can do some of the coolest things in the game uh so that's why i say like it's good that he's healthy it's maybe not good to see him we'll put it that way yeah hopefully Luis robert is okay and we see Luis Robert in this series. So we get to see Buxton against Robert, even though neither one is going to be 100% healthy for this upcoming series. Because as you mentioned, this is going to be the first time the White Sox face Byron Buxton since 2020. The White Sox did not see Byron Buxton at all in 2021. Dylan Bundy in two starts, 10 and third innings, has only allowed six hits, Jim, and one run. One run in two starts for Dylan Bundy. That could be a tough game for the White Sox on Saturday. And then Chris Archer, who is trying to revitalize his career, two starts, he's only pitched eight and a third innings right now, and he's only allowed two runs in his two starts. So while I don't think that Chris Archer has much left in the tank, and I don't think the highest of Dylan Bundy at this stage of his career on paper, you look at what these guys have, and you would think, all right, the White Sox should be able to hit Bundy and Archer, but it may mm-hmm. not be that easy. Hopefully they can knock him out before the fifth inning and get to the twins bullpen, which as you mentioned, Jim has been another adventure for the Minnesota twins early this season. But I, I think the key for this series is going to be in the run prevention side. Can the white Sox stop booting the ball around? Can they play a lot better defense, which behind Kopech and Velasquez and Giolito? Whoever's playing in center field, can they at least try to make it make up the gap with Luis Robert not being available? Can we not see Gavin Sheets play in right field? Please, for the love of baseball gods, can we not see Gavin Sheets in right field? I think that's going to be the difference in this series is going to be on the run prevention side. I, I'm expecting three low scoring games. It, it could be a very similar series that we saw Last weekend with the White Sox and Rays, in which the White Sox won two games in that series, but they won those games by a score of three to two. I've got a feeling it could be very similar this upcoming weekend in Minnesota. 
Yeah, it's, you know, one of the weird things about the season is looking at, you know, I was doing the sortable stats to see how the Twins offense was doing as a whole. And question for you, um, you know, like, let's use like 700 OPS as like, you know, a, a, you know, Larry Garcia season. Like if he's over 700, that means he's good, you know, under 700. Like that means he's not even, yeah, he's not holding up his end of the bargain at the plate. How many teams in baseball have a 700 OPS right now? 13. 11. Oh, <laughs> so close. Yeah, it's bad. Padres are at 690. Yeah, it's like, you know, like I think five teams got shut out yesterday, uh, Wednesday. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple more teams got shut out uh, today or, you know, and I'm not counting the games that are in progress, but just this is, this feels like another, you know, especially with the humidor now being in all parks and the weather being cold and, and just, it seems like, you know, we could be on the precipice of another dead ball year. Uh, to where just, you know, I, you know, I, I don't want to blame it on the weather. Don't want to blame it on the ball because the White Sox are underperforming even outside of, you know, we, we've seen series and games where the White Sox made good contact and had at bats that weren't fruitful. But we, you know, we saw in the, this Cleveland series that they just also gave away a lot of at bats. In this case, like, yeah, it, it's going to be weird to watch this and try to figure out like, what's the weather, what's the ball, what's actually the White Sox. And, you know, the, when they struggle like they do against Cleveland and, you know, they, they've, they've been in this rut, like it makes it really hard to have moral victories, you know, now to where like if they, you know, sting six balls over hundred miles per hour against Dylan Bundy and they're lined out everywhere. It's like that, that, that runs thin after a while. Like <laughs> the excuse does not hold up, even if it is a valid excuse. And you see so many other teams wrestling with having sputtering offenses that like, yeah, it's as this drags on, just watch the other scores in the league, see how many zero and one run games there are, uh, outputs from the offenses. And that'll give you a better idea of just how much company the White Sox have. And when you see five teams get shut out in one one night, it makes it, you know, it doesn't absolve the White Sox, but also makes it seem like, well, try not to get too upset about this because you might be miserable all season when this is really an uphill battle for, you know, basically all but a handful of teams. I kind of feel bad for Dave Dabrowski because he built that all offense, no defense type of team in Philadelphia. And now the mm-hmm. baseball has changed and the ball is not carrying. And <laughs> the Phillies are they're not they're not set up to play this type of style of baseball. But if this continues through May and June, because we know that Major League Baseball has no problem at all changing the baseball during the season. Walking, the ability to draw walks is going to be crucial the ability to play consistent defense errorless defense is going to be crucial because you don't want to give up, give up extra outs. And if you can continue to put pressure on the other team by having guys on base, and if you can draw two walks and then you slap a single through the infield and you're able to get a run that way, that that's carrying the day for a lot Mm -hmm. of teams. Uh, The twins just beat the Royals one to nothing. On Thursday, the day before, they lost two to nothing. Uh, so you make a good point, Jim. We are seeing offense down across the league right now. And a team like Cleveland, they don't scare you offensively, but they don't chase a whole lot. They put the ball in, in play a lot. They make solid contact, and they have one of the best players at all of Major League Baseball, Jose Ramirez. And they just consistently put pressure on the other team. And if a team like the White Sox falter and they bust, yeah, they sweep the White Sox. 
if a team doesn't bust like the mm-hmm. San Francisco Giants, then Cleveland gets swept. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is what we're seeing early on in Major League Baseball. We uh, when you have two offenses right now that should be performing better than what they have been doing with the White Sox and Twins this series. That's going to be key. Can the White Sox start drawing walks again? And can they not commit any errors and give up extra outs to the Twins? Yeah, the I'm, I'm also sorting by the home run column. The Blue Jays are a three-way tie with the uh, lead in home runs with 16. Uh, the Angels also have uh, 16 and 13 games. The Braves have 16 and 14 games. 16 homers in 13 games is 199 homers for the season. Yeah, like that's, that's way that's, down. Yeah, so this is, you know, even with the weather and such, like, I mean, the, the Blue Jays play in a dome, the Angels are on the West Coast, so it's like, it's not all weather. It's, uh, these are conditions that need to be contended with. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, like some teams will adjust. The White Sox seem to be adjusting early uh, with the more contact-oriented approach, but then Robert went to a slump and Jimenez has been hobbled with the ankle. So they've, uh, you know, had their legs, you know, literally and figuratively cut out from under them a little bit. So, you know, with Robert being out, you'll see if Paula comes back, but this is going to be like, like we talked about before, like April is going to be about survival, but we just didn't know it was going to involve the ball being this dead (laughs) or like, Oh, it's about just, you know, we're talking about the pitching surviving, but it's also going to be the position players just trying to keep their heads up and, and contextualize what counts as success in April, 2022. Yeah, really good points, Jim. And we will be recapping this series between the White Sox and Twins in the next episode of the Sox Machine Podcast that will be available for you Monday morning. And, of course, we'll be recapping all of the games all weekend between the White Sox and Twins. Don't forget about the Saturday Sport Call as well, as Ted will be stumping everybody. So that's all you have to look forward to from SoxMachine.com over the weekend. But that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. Thank you to everyone that watched the live stream on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Machine or on our website at SoxMachine.com. If you aren't subscribed to our YouTube channel, you can do so at youtube.com slash Machine. When you do, and we have either emergency broadcasts or scheduled Sox Machine Lives, you'll get a notification on your phone or any of your internet connected devices that hey socks machine live is going to be starting soon so please subscribe to our youtube channel again you can follow us on twitter we are at socks machine i'm at socks machine underscore josh and if you don't get an opportunity to watch the live stream and you're in the car and you're driving to work or you're going to have easter celebrations this upcoming weekend or visiting friends or family you can always listen to the audio versions of socks machine live wherever you subscribe to podcasts and if you subscribe to the socks machine podcast if you are a longtime supporter of socks machine or a lurker or brand new to us and if you don't support us on patreon think about doing so our patreon supporters they get more they get exclusive content they get ad free versions of both the podcast and website you get the first opportunity to purchase our new Sox Machine swag. We have monthly plans starting at $2 a month, and you can save with an annual subscription. And you can sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball, and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening.